We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. got bad news for 50% of Twitter's reply guys on football Twitter. Pessy isn't finished. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Tripped over my words a little bit there and ruined it, but you get the idea. Pessy isn't finished. In fact, Pessy is exactly what he is because he scored a penalty, uh, among other things, to get Argentina through to the semifinal. Now just two games away from being a World Cup winner, which is the last thing I think he needs on his resume to prove that he's a decent player. Um, some people still not convinced. And you can say, oh, but but Ronaldo, he's still in it. Is he, though? I mean, suffering the indignity of having to watch Portugal move on in the World Cup as he is no longer part of the team. Let's see. Let's see how that goes. That's for tomorrow. But for today, Croatia shocks the world. Croatia shocks the world, and Argentina survive. Burnley legend, Vout Veghorst's uh, furious attempts at a comeback. We're going to be discussing that and looking ahead to England, France, Morocco, Portugal here with Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. What a night. That was pure football hooked straight into my veins. Some high sense. Forget the Barclays. That was some pure high sense straight into my veins. And I loved yeah, it. Yeah. I, I might need some gas prom, though, if I'm going to be subjected to refereeing like Lahore or whatever his name is again. I mean, did you, <laughs> did you notice? Did he, what's his name? Lahore? No, Lahore. That's, that's his name from now on. <laughs> he, he is Lahore. Lahore when it comes to giving it out when I'm talking about of Pakistani cards. fame. It is yes. Lahore's? Lahore's. Lahore's. What's Lahore? Mateo well, Lahore's a place. Yeah. In Pakistan. Right. In Pakistan, yeah. yeah. So, okay. <laughs> you know what? It is late, and we've been watching a lot of football. Um, and this is my second podcast of the day, none of which forgive that, but I thought it's kind, kind of funny, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, he had the energy to give out a yellow card in the penalty shootout. Like, the guy, he, you can't stop him, you can't stop his whistle. He was like the Vuvuzela of, of this World Cup. Um, and here, by the way, to also discuss that, and... Uh, less fanciful things, is Lewis Ambrose. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Indeed. Hello, Lewis. Yeah. Um, good. <laughs> no, it that doesn't, doesn't go there. It definitely doesn't. <laughs> Stay in your lane, buddy. <laughs> it's, been, it's been an exciting Poor night for all of us. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Let's get the show on the road. <laughs> is it, though? <laughs> so I want to have a drink, but I haven't done my exercise yet, so like, I can't even have a drink until I get through this, get my workout in. Um, okay. So, yeah, humble brag that I go to the gym. Uh, Phil, <laughs> let's let's start with um, Argentina and the Netherlands because it's fresher in the mind right now because I did come on to this before we started recording and I'm trying to make notes. And I'm like, who did Brazil beat earlier today? Not a good sign. Not a good sign at all from my knowledge and contribution to this podcast. But yes, Argentina v. the Netherlands. Anything that jumped out to you about the lineups and, and the way the game started? I mean, it is... It is the reality that while I'm happy to see Messi and Argentina go through in some ways, they are not always, we're really not ever going to give you a game that that visually is going to be very pleasing, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, Scaloni changed it again. He decided to go with a back three. Um, mm -hmm. I think more to match the Netherlands than it was for you know a plan of his own um, thinking, because obviously the Netherlands are much more easier to predict, you know, and 
the opening half an hour was just very much back three team against another back three team. It was very cancerly outy. Um, basically wing backs were just running into other wing backs and it wasn't great. You know, there were a couple of times where, where either team got in behind, but there was still nothing clear. Um, but then around the half hour mark, 35 minutes, they started to push Nawal Molina up a bit more with Acuna tucking in. And I think that really opened up the game for Argentina because Molina is, you know, uh, how do I say this nicely? Simple. Um, <laughs> defensively, I, I don't think he could, um, you know, he, he's useless, basically. And a wing back is his position. And the more he can stay away from the Argentina goal is better. So, and yeah, he got in a couple of times down the right behind Nathan Ake. And then obviously it happened that the goal happened, you know, and it was just <laughs> magic. You know, if that's anywhere where you don't want Messi on the pitch, it's in that right half space driving towards the penalty area. You know, he doesn't look at Molina once mm-hmm. yep. during that, that passage of play mm-hmm. and he can still execute a pass like that. It's, it's outrageous. You know, there's only, you know, that pass was seen by one person in the stadium and that's him, you know, and to be able to see it is one thing, but to execute it like that, while nutmegging Nathan Ake and taking four players out of the game, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's alien, it's genius. And that really sort of laid a marker for the rest of the nonsense that happened uh, during the game. He's He's no longer capable of dominating a game, but he's capable of turning a game, if that's mm-hmm. the way to think about it. I mean, Lionel Messi in his absolute prime could dominate a game. And unfortunately, Arsenal have had the chance to see that up close. I think there were four goals at the new camp in the second leg of a Champions League tie that come to mind. He had the ability to just take over a game so thoroughly that that he humiliated you and st- stole your will to compete. He can't do that anymore. But he can turn games with picking and choosing a moment to be brilliant. And he's done a bit of that here. And I have to say, uh, Lewis, like after that, I just sort of assumed Argentina would grind this game to to dust. Um, it got a little bit spiky, and I sometimes wonder, as you know, when as an Arsenal supporter, I have sometimes used narrative to <laughs> uh, build my case about things. And I can remember a Liverpool game. Was it last season away? Maybe it was a League Cup tie. I don't remember what game it was, but where we were playing pretty even with Liverpool. The, the, when Arte- and there was Arte- a bit of a touchline bust up. Arteta and Klopp. Argument on yeah. the touchline, right? Yep. And and I've, there have been games sometimes where I've felt that these fracases, these bust-ups, can, can kind of turn a game, can change the energy of a game and the focus of a game. Now, look, if you're not already fired up and focused in a World Cup quarterfinal, then I don't know how to help you. But I'm wondering if you think Argentina that seemed to be on cruise control, especially after they get the second goal. Um, if if the temperature of the game changed the way it played out, or is that just too narrative? No, I think I think Argentina can be prone to that. I think the players that they've got can be really prone to getting sucked into those kind of things. I think it's great when they're not winning or when they're the underdog. <laughs> um, but they don't just... Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a choice. I don't think they do it because they're not winning and they need to rile up the crowd. Uh, you know, We've seen all throughout this World Cup, the crowd's been 90% Argentina fans at every Argentina game anyway. Yeah. Messy fans. Yeah, well, but also, like I think, you know, just Argentinians. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's and true. Like, yeah. I, like, I think... Sorry, I didn't mean I, to be dismissive. Yeah. No, but I know what you mean. Like, there are, there are sort of Lionel Messi mm-hmm. fans all over the world. And mm-hmm. the, invariably, a lot of the people in the stadium are there wearing Argentina shirts because they love Lionel Messi. The same way that there's been people at Portugal yeah. games chanting Ronaldo, for Ronaldo, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think... Uh, I think... I, I think you mean Penaldo and he's finished. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Argentina have taken, like more people have traveled from Argentina to this World Cup than people from any other country as well. Um, and and that advantage that they have there means the players don't need to get involved in these things. That, that already exists yeah. in the stands. This home advantage, this, you know, get really on top of the opposition and cheer the team home kind of thing. The one game where they didn't, get the result they wanted so far was actually against Saudi Arabia, who seemed to have almost as many fans in the stadium as Argentina had. So yeah, it, there were some odd choices. There were, and and I think it was just a matter of the occasion getting to these players. I think 
I don't think we'll ever be able to understand it. And I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again. Uh, it's not the first World Cup where it's been the case. But I think these Argentina players feel a pressure to do their jobs right because they play with Lionel Messi. Mm-hmm. And because they know, basically, they all know that he is owed a World Cup. But they know that they all have to do <laughs> their jobs properly so that he can actually go and win the World Cup. And he, oh, I mean, Phil mentioned that assist, which is just... Filthy. nobody else in the stadium saw it no one else on the planet would dare to execute it as well even if you even if they did see it even if they did know that that run was coming nobody would dare with Nathan Ake standing in front of them (laughs) to try and just slot it through his legs and weight it perfectly between the the two defenders and into Molina's stride and then after that he obviously gets the penalty or they get the penalty Acuna wins the penalty and Messi has to step up in this the thing that makes him look human, right? The penalty shootouts or, or taking a penalty. The thing that he, he hasn't ever done above average in his career and where we all do think, nah, that's probably the one thing that he's not better than everybody else at. And he puts it in the side netting, like unstoppable penalty. He he literally was passing yeah. tonight. He had right. two like, penalties. Uh, you know, I thought his celebration said it all. <laughs> Very, are you not entertained? Yeah. Arms out cupping the ears after the criticism of obviously he's missed penalties before he's missed penalty in this world cup already. And then I I just think the moment got to these Argentina players and they got away with it in the end. They, you know, they, they didn't get away with it. The, The goals did go in. They had to then get all the way to a penalty shootout and hold their nerve from 12 yards. They got away with it in that they're through to the next round and I wonder if this serves them well now going further in the tournament, if they've had that experience of losing their heads. I mean, Paredes, what Paredes was playing at when he came on, uh, given how card-friendly La Hose's, I'm amazed that... But he didn't well, give I'm, any yeah, reds. That's what I like, mean. Let's, I'm let's, amazed let's, nobody was sent This off. World Cup has been committed to not giving out red cards. I think it's even, crazy. There must be like yeah, an instruction. I, Don't send I anybody so off Even ever. the only red card off the World Cup uh, for, for Wayne Hennessy was like such a blatant red card yeah. that they that they yeah, didn't nothing. give and then went and checked it on the screen and were like... Uh, guess we don't really have a choice <laughs> we kind of um, gotta give it it's the only red card yeah, in the tournament like, right like that's unthinkable and, and this was not a referee that was reluctant to give cards out i'm shocked there wasn't a red card tonight mm-hmm. i think in you know a lot of refs maybe not in a world cup if that if that has been a directive there would have been a red card i think argentina just got way too pumped up and, and lost their heads in a game that they had complete control over like i say i won my question is if that bodes well for them going forward and they learn not to do this make the same mistakes again because it almost cost them tonight and they go away with it and i mean to be fair like everybody contributes emmy martinez sort of started the whole thing downhill i thought with the standing over who did he stand over was it was it de young yeah yeah it was and De-Yong, like yeah I don't know what he's doing there. Like, he doesn't have to. It's There was no, like, the challenge, like, he doesn't go head-to-head with him. He jumps kind of near him. And then Emmy just stands over him. Now, I would love to shit on Emmy Martinez because I think he's kind of a prick uh, with all the talking he does about Arsenal. But as we'll come on to in a little bit, he's kind of the hero of the moment. And I don't recall him being that imperious when it comes to saving penalties at Arsenal. I don't recall much, to be fair, but... He was tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, I, I think the story of this match, uh, so obviously Messi converts the penalty. The story of this match shifts then to the argy-bargy, to the energy of it, and to the referee who, I mean, the whistle was just nonstop. But by the same token, I'm not sure what he could do. I mean, there was a lot of wild challenges flying in. Um is it the who is it? Is it who is it per uh is it Pazea? How do you say it? <laughs> Pazea. I don't know. Germain Petzella. 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 I don't you yeah. know what? We're just here having a chat, man. Just just having a chat. Like, you know what? There's a reason you guys are on the pod. I'm just I'm just here to sell stuff that makes your ball smooth. Like, you guys are here to, you know, talk about football. So Pazea who uh, is also delicious uh, in Barcelona. They serve some nice pizzeria on the Las Ramblas. Um, <laughs> he says, making it worse. Pe- Petzella, 
Uh, was he the guy who goes in flying? Is that what you said, right? Uh, goes through. He's got the high boot at the touchline. Was that was that who it was? Kicks off what? the fracas, then and they punch the ball into, into no, the. No, that was that was Paredes. Paredes, okay. Yeah. See, I could have picked Paredes. I know how to say that name. Here's the ultimate point I want to make. That's some new shit housing we haven't seen. The punting the ball aggressively into the opposition bench. And I'm I mean, curious, he should have been sent off. He yeah, should have been sent off. Of course he should have been like. sent off. But I'm curious what, how you rate that on the shithousing scale of I'm going to come through like a house of a house of fire and then I'm going to get up and punt the ball aggressively into the opposition bench. And what, I, and right I loved... I loved how he just walked away like with his hands up, like I haven't done anything. And the whole bench just launched up and was, you know, Van Dyke came in and launched them to the floor. And then you don't see you the know, bench it, clear very often in football. No, you don't. And it was really fun to see that because for a long time, this game wasn't, you know, catching fire. And it was kind of, especially when the Netherlands were pushing, I mean, they didn't create anything before there their first goal it was so stale and boring and then all of a sudden I think inadvertently Paredes just gave them that spark that they needed to to try and and do something you know and they were all up everybody was you know pushing and shoving and you know sometimes I I I always love it when the commentators are like oh that's the the scenes we don't want to see. It's like, who doesn't want to see that? I want to see that you know my veins nobody <laughs> we, yeah, who cares? We want to see, you know, people angry and, you know, it's sport, it's competitive. As long as it doesn't go over the line. Um, I'm all for well, a bit of handbags, you know? I mean, um, am, am I saying that I, w- I want to see, you know, Lissandro Martinez banned from football for a year? Like, yeah, of course I do. I mean, do <laughs> I, do I want to see players for uh, other premier league teams sent off forever? Like, yeah, that'd be fine. Julian Alvarez ban him from football. Why not? Can't hurt us. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the main, the main talking point for me was that for all Van Hal's ideas and, and, you know, passages of play and f- formations and all of his, you know, long history in the game, you can't beat two men in the box. Just chuck two big lads in the box and that's football right there. That is some classic British, get it to the big men. And Argentina couldn't deal with it. I saw a really interesting tweet actually that said after they brought on Luke de Jong and Weghorst, uh, the Netherlands had an average height of six foot two and Argentina's average height was five foot nine. Mm. out of the 11 on the pitch. And I think you could really see it in those last 15 minutes because every time, <laughs> I mean, Lissandro Martinez played very well, but when you're jumping with with Luke de Jong, it's not going to happen, mate. Um, and no. even even for the opening goal, well, for the for the, ne- the Netherlands opening goal, Weghorst just lost him completely and plucked it into the corner. I mean, I thought Emi Martinez yeah, on the first could goal. have and should have yeah. done a bit better there. It was very dramatic, the kind of dive. Um, it's but, still you know, a really good header, though. It's a great header, just a, a little glancing It's got to be yeah. placement. Yeah, there's, no, there's not enough pace on it to get the power. But I, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk more about this Petzella man. Um, what's his name? Pet, Petzella? Pezella? Pezella. Yeah, just kidding. I don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> his, um, his name actually begins completely differently. That's just the slander name on Twitter. <laughs> Petzella is finished. <laughs> um, his name is actually Jermaine Smith. Um, okay, so Lewis. That's a hell of a set piece routine to pull out of the bag. And, and, and have you seen in the dying? Have you seen on Twitter that yeah. uh, Verkhorst he's done this before? He's uh, there was there was a goal for Wolfsburg uh, a couple of years ago against Bundesliga giants. I think Arminia Bielefeld, where they played basically the exact <laughs> same free kick, uh, not so dramatically. You know, it was in front of mm. a handful of people in the 18th minute of a Bundesliga game um, between. I don't know a mid-table side and a side that was probably going to get relegated, but yeah, they, they've pulled it off before. With uh, well, at club level, he's pulled it off before to to drop that in the hundred and first minute of a World Cup quarterfinal. Though uh, I've I've never seen I've seen goals like it. I've never seen it anything like it in that moment. I don't think you know, I think there will be videos going around that Zanetti scored a very similar goal against England in the in the World Cup in '98. 
uh, Argentina obviously doing it to someone else on that occasion. But again, that was sort of halfway through the game. You know when teams get short corners and or teams get corners quite late on and they play it short and every, and, and maybe they don't get the ball in the box and it's a bit wasted. Yeah, it and and, and everybody, and everybody goes crazy. Like, line. what are you doing? Just get yeah. it in the box. All the big mm-hmm. guys are up. I, there was an element of that, I think. Like, I think the guts to take a free kick like that in that moment. If an Argentina player reads that and nicks the ball, then you just had a chance to shoot from 22 yards from a set piece, a dead or like ball. lofted into the box. Yeah, like the either, yeah. either or. You could have, you could have chipped in and hoped someone gets on the end of it and in sort of no man, put it into no man's land, and there's a bit of a scramble. Or you could have had a, a free shot with obviously a wall in front of you as a very last ditch hope to get into a World Cup semi final or keep your hopes alive at least. And the guts to play that ball into to Veghorst, he, he does great. Um, you know, the strength to, to hold off the defender, the turn. And then and then from that range when obviously everybody's sort of caught off guard, he doesn't really have to make much of a connection for it to go past Martinez. Like he's so close to goal, as long as he puts it towards the corner, it's gonna be a goal. But I, it's just the the bravery, I think, for me to try that, to try and execute that, and then to actually execute it as well in the last minute of a World Cup quarterfinal. I, I've i never seen anything like it in those circumstances, and I imagine we will maybe never see anything like it again. It was amazing. I, Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not going to give it as much credit as it deserves with this analogy, but it's sort of the free-kick version of a Panenka, right? Because you're using the expectation of the opposition against them, right? They're thinking they get all the big men up. Are they going to shoot it? Are they going to try to body us? You, you know, the defense is getting ready to... The wall wants to I'd jump. Go, They're I'd getting go, their I'd muscles one ready. Step, the defenders one step want. further than the Panenka. It's if the Omri Pires mm. penalty had worked, but if it was in the 100th minute of a yeah. quarterfinal, of like a Champions League quarterfinal or yeah. something. It's crazy like, to try and pull that off. In I that still moment. maintain that was... That was a moment of genius. Actually, it's been pulled off, apparently. I've seen video. I can't remember by who. Oh, yeah. Had yeah. That, that actually yeah. has been. Cruyff, Cruyff. And Messi Cruyff and Suarez did it. Did it. Yeah. Uh, Messi yeah. and Suarez or uh, Neymar right. did it at Barcelona as well. Yeah. All right. Well, all that nonsense aside, we get a we get extra time, which we were all rooting for, obviously, because we want to stay up until the games kick off tomorrow. Um, but then, you know, it goes back and forth, goes back and forth, and we get a shot off the post at the 120th, which... I'm trying to, what was the other game where there was one that glanced off the far post, much more acute angle and inside the box at the depth? Spain. Spain, Spain, uh, Spain against Morocco, yeah. And when that happened, it flashed in my mind. I was like, I think coming back from the disappointment of nearly, you know, having the game won, then having, getting pulled back, and then having a shot nearly going at the very end. Like, I thought all of the psychological energy was against. Well, you, you say that the players, the you know, players who took both of those shots missed their penalties. Uh, Sarabia, Sarabia for Spain in yeah. the, the, the like, like the very last kick of the game, basically, wasn't it? And then the same again tonight. Uh, it is basically the last kick of the game, and it was it's Enzo Fernandez, and, yeah. and he's the only Bring Argentina player who misses his penalty. You do have to wonder, I think, if that's if that's playing on the mind a little bit still, if it's still a little bit raw as you go up to take the the penalty in the shootout. Could have been the hero. Now, yeah. Yeah, the, really, really good knowledge there, except I think it's pronounced uh, Sarabaya. I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't want to correct you, but... Um, yeah, so, so we do get the penalty shootout, and like, of course, Phil, of course what we get is Emmy Martinez, Superman, and I didn't hear his post-match interview, but I assume it was something like, yeah, Arsenal just didn't believe in me. And, you know, I had to, I had to just reach down deep for that, you know, for that confidence that Arsenal never had in me, you know, because, you know, we, he loves to talk about Arsenal. But let's give it up for Emmy Martinez. Like, that's, those are class saves. Those aren't, that's not like the last penalty taken in the penalty shootout of the Arsenal-Leon game the other day, in case you saw it, where the ball was gently tipped to the keeper <laughs> uh, in a sign of politeness, as if to say, here, sir, have a ball. This, these were good saves, well kept out, and I think gave Argentina the cushion they needed to not then crap the bed. Carl Hine, you're just a shit Carl Hine. No, I mean, yeah, basically. It, it, it was, I mean, the Van Dyke one, he has to guess right. But I don't think it's like super in the corner. But for me, the second one with Berghaus, uh, that is an incredible save. I mean, Berghaus hits that hard. Um, and he got he dives the right way. And, you know, it was funny because 
Emmy kind of broke onto the scene with Argentina in the Copa America when he he saved three penalties in the final and he was doing all mm. of the the mind games, you know, the dance. He did the dance a little the, jig the, the, the dancing, the little the little words between between each kick. And I don't know, I just I just see him. He's a he's a big guy, right? I mean Martinez mm-hmm. and, and I just think you see him in that goal telling you things, moving around, and it's it's normal that that you get put off a little bit. And that, yeah, both both saves were excellent. I mean the second one in particular. Um and you need that. You know, you need, sometimes in a penalty shootout, you just need your goalkeeper to come up with a big save, give you the advantage, even though they did their best to try and mess it up. Um, and especially because extra time was just a mirage of of whistling for 30 minutes. Um, there was, I think the ball was in play for about 17 seconds during extra time. So, you know, to really get down and focus there. And th- there was even like little little back and forth, you know, when, when they were standing on the halfway line. You know, it was crazy. They just, there was so much emotion and and beef between these two teams and it was so good i mean even when lataro martinez went up to take his one the dutch goalie was holding onto the ball bouncing it around and it was you know it was really really good entertainment um but yeah fair play to emmy i mean he's good in those situations and he deserves it because i think he he more than bided his time for a moment you know a moment like that with argentina he got it in the copa america and interestingly while all the Argentina players ran to the Argentina fans, the only player that ran to Emi Martinez was Lionel Messi. So um, mm. I think that's a, a lovely moment and it was a really nice picture as well. I think that the, the Telegraph tweeted a bit bit, uh, bit earlier. But yeah, so look, I'm, I'm happy. The, the Messi juice is taking them, taking them as far as it can. The narrative, the hashtag narrative, as always in football, is, is super strong. Um, and on balance, I don't think the Netherlands did enough. Um, even in the whole tournament, to be honest, I found them, you know, quite easily through at the group stage. But I don't think they did enough today to to consider themselves worthy winners, even though there were moments of of real genius. Yeah. Um, anything stand out from you other than the Emmy Martin's performance in the penalty shootout, Lewis? Because I'll admit, after they got within one. And Lataro Martinez stepped up to have to win it for Argentina. I was like, this is going to the moon. There's no way this guy's scoring. He's had such a bad tournament. He's been so, so desperately poor, I think. Maybe I'm overstating it, but he hasn't been great. Um, but he he coolly, coolly, coolly put it away. I mean, uh, he deserves credit because I definitely didn't see it coming. But did you have a, a similar thought when Martinez stepped up or anything else that jumps out to you about the penalty shootout? Obviously, Messi... Why doesn't you just do that every time? I mean, just sit the keeper down and make it look easy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to, in that moment, to preserve the the World Cup dream, if you like, when he's already, like we already said, it's the one area that people kind of doubt him is from the penalty spot. Yeah. And to already put one penalty away and then step up first. After, we'll talk about it, but after we'd seen Neymar not take a penalty for Brazil because he was waiting to go fifth. Um you know, to step up first and really set the tone for Argentina, I thought that was that was great. It was. I just think that there was a, an element there of you know we've we've talked about Argentina maybe at two nil, two one, losing control a little bit and getting a little bit caught up in the moment and trying to play those games that they didn't need to play. And I also wondered, and then especially after they were really banging on the door the last few minutes of extra time how mentally they would go into the penalty shootout. And other than the one penalty that was missed, they were all brilliant. And we've seen a lot of bad penalties over the last week or so. But I just thought Argentina held their nerve completely. You know, there's... And, and I think there's a... If if another game goes to penalties, we saw it with this one. I just think, you know, from that Copa America win with Emi Martinez in goal, I feel like there's sort of a confidence with Argentina from penalty shootouts that they'll have a really good chance because they know their goalkeeper is in the heads of the opposition and and it's probably good for for one or two saves. I mean, I had a look. He saved four of 14, or not saved, but four of 14 at least have been missed uh, since he joined Aston Villa as well at club level, which is sort of ridiculous numbers too. And there's a there was an element of, or there is an element of Aaron Ramsdale to me, not necessarily from the penalty spot, but you can tell Aaron Ramsdale loves away games and he loves it when people are abusing him and shouting at him and he loves chirping back at the crowd. 
and you just see that from Martinez and during penalty shootouts, especially. And that he, it must be awful it, as a player to go up and take one against him. It must be absolutely awful. And then to stand on the halfway line as an Argentina player and know that that's your goalkeeper, I think it probably gives you so much more confidence in in your team and your ability to to win from the spot. So, I mean, a lot of games have been tight. A lot of Argentina games are tight generally anyway. I wouldn't be stunned if if they keep going, if they have to go to penalties again at some point, especially because they're playing Croatia and Croatia can only go through in knockout tournaments via the penalty spot. So, <laughs> we'll, you know, maybe maybe next week we'll be talking about another penalty shootout. But Argentina, yeah, they having lost their heads earlier on, I thought looked really cool and composed and confident during the shootout, which is really impressive. Because usually you think the momentum's yeah. completely with the the other team, the team that's come from two 0 down, the team that's survived the last few minutes of extra time. You're starting to think it's ne- the Netherlands' day, and it wasn't. It sure wasn't. Um, and so Argentina are through, and they will face not Brazil. So we are denied the Brazil-Argentina semifinal. What we get instead is Croatia, and they deserve huge credit. And I just have to say, I will never be as sure of the population of a country as I am sure of the population of Croatia, because the internet cannot stop telling me that this country of just 4 million people has made it to the quarterfinal, having made it to a final, and uh, pardon me, to a semifinal, I should say. Um, They (laughs) did not beat Morocco. They did not beat Belgium. They did not beat Japan. They did not beat Brazil. They beat Canada. That that's what they've done in this in this World Cup. But they're in the semifinal, and uh, and I think they have every right to be there. And the elder statesman Messi and Modric both go 120 minutes tonight, plus a penalty shootout. Really pretty impressive. Um, feel like there's there's no getting around this though. This is a shock result, not because there isn't a lot of talent on that Croatia team, but they haven't exactly dominated the World Cup, as I pointed out. Um, they have a lot of aging talent. They you know, they have some young players in there that are interesting too, like uh, Gvardiol. Did I get that one right or or no? <laughs> Do Very, good. Right Very good. Very okay. good. There we go. Huzzah for me. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, obviously just loaded with talent. And all I can think about with Brazil is if you don't find a way to get Gabriel Martinelli on the pitch, you probably don't des- deserve to go through. Is there really any other takeaway from this game than that? Chite is going to be um, meme to high heaven by the Arsenal Twitter circle. Well, and he's um, out, by the way, stepping down from the Brazil yeah. position. I mean, I think that was... Yeah, that, that was, was the plan. February, he, he yeah. already said that that was mm-hmm. the idea. Yeah, it's official now. So Pep can go there hopefully as soon as January. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> I mean, this was another uh, another really good game, I thought. I mean, in the first half, Croatia were excellent. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. And it, it felt like their midfield finally woke up you know, yeah. because they'd kind of muddled their way through games. Um, you know, as you said, drawing, winning on the, on the occasion that they can do it. But I thought as a trio, Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic were, you know, dominating Brazil. Um, they were pressing well, winning their duels. At times they were just passing rings around, you know, a very half-hearted press from from Neymar and Paquita. I mean, you could see that Brazil were outnumbered in, in, in the middle with Paquita and Neymar both kind of floating around. They just had Casemiro there by himself. Yeah. Um, and it's impossible to sustain possession like that against a, a technical midfield three. Um, and I, I also liked how they were playing Mario Pasalic as well. Do you remember when Aaron Ramsey used to play on the right? Um, I think it was about 2016, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when we had the, career, yeah. the Coxzola um, <laughs> pivot. And... Pasalic was playing a really good role here because he was helping to create overloads in the middle when they had possession, but also he's got quite good attacking instincts um, out of possession and they were getting into really dangerous positions. I mean, Juranovic, the right back, he just turned into into Cafu for the day. Um, so I really enjoyed, I think it was the best they played, really. That first half, I, I was really impressed. But then obviously Brazil came out with a bit more purpose in the second half they made some changes you know they brought Anthony on who actually to his credit did change the game a little bit um and yeah it was kind of backwards and forwards not nothing really clear being created I know Levakovic 
he's obviously summoned the spirit of Memo Ochoa in this tournament. You know, he's, <laughs> he's he's saving everything that that comes his way. But then, yeah, Neymar. I mean, honestly, he didn't do a lot in the game. He really, really didn't do a lot. I mean, Brozovic was marking him out of the game mediocre. every single time. Yeah, yeah he would. Mm-hmm. He, you know, it really passed him by. But when they needed him, the goal came, and you know, he it, it was magic. The goal was brilliant. You know, and. There's the composure in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, the best players absolutely. in every sport have one thing in common. They can make the game slow down in the most pressurized moments. And like anyone who's ever been in a stressful situation, like where you're performing, whether it's athletically or on a stage, like I've I've had some situations where I've you know performed on a bigger-ish stage and what can happen is time starts to speed up and everything feels very out of your control and your brain's going and you just want to slow it down and get it get it to where you can really feel like what you're doing because the nerves get to you. And you know you're in the zone when everything feels like it's almost moving slow motion and you, you can see it all unfolding in front of you. And that's where Neymar in that moment felt like as fast as everything's moving and as panicked as everything is, he's as cool as can be under the biggest pressure. It's brilliant. I mean, it's the first time he was able to get his foot on the ball and turn. And mm-hmm. I think a really underrated part of this goal is the fact that Pakatar is really advanced because too often today he was kind of lost in the middle of a, do I press? Do I sit with Casemiro? Do I join? And I think in, this, in that stage of the game, his role was kind of really defined as really go and support in and around the penalty area. And his pass actually back into Neymar is really perfectly weighted. But like you said, Neymar rides the challenge of Borna Sosa initially. And when you've got a keeper coming out to you, your instinct is to just tap it past them, right? With a toe, maybe. But he goes round him and the finish into the roof of the net is excellent. And and as I said before, he, he really didn't do a lot. But when they needed something, he was able to, to turn up. And I think that was what he was waiting for. I didn't see him 100% fit. I, thought, I think he's still nursing a little bit of a problem because he wasn't moving so freely. But... You know, that's just a moment of quality that only he could have provided, I think. Yeah, and and I joke a little bit about the Martinelli thing, but I think it was a mistake probably not bringing him on. Now, maybe there was an eye towards, like, we don't want him taking a penalty, which I I get, he's young, he hasn't been in that situation. But, like, I, I think his pressing ability, his defensive work rate, and his pace to push that flank back... When, you know, at, you get a goal in the 105th minute. You got to survive a second half of stoppage time. You can get fresh legs who will push them back, drive them back, who will run like an absolute, you know, maniac up and down the flank, defending and pushing back. I really actually thought, and of course I thought because I'm an Arsenal fan, I get it, but like, I thought that that instead of Rodrigo was, would have been a better, would have been a better option is my thought there. But to be honest, Lewis, like setting that aside, right? Obviously, I think that's what they should have done. Doesn't you know? The other thing is you've shown that you trust Martinelli to be your sort of first attacking sub in all these games to some extent, or one of them. And and you don't you don't trust him here. And I think you sometimes got to let the form thing be your decider. But there's still no excuse for the defending in the 117th minute. What it boils right down to is Lewis Brazil just went to sleep, like they'd had it won. I don't know how to explain it. It's dreadful defending with three minutes left till you're in the semifinal. Like, I, I just quickly on Martinelli, I didn't, like Phil said, Anthony to Anthony improved the, the Brazil game a little bit because Rafinha, like partly because Rafinha was so awful. Uh, again, so, yeah, just missing. Says, Forgot he was playing. Like, mm-hmm. Not had a particularly good World Cup, uh, but today was the worst he played. No. Uh, Martinelli just his energy and Brazil was so one paced. I thought in the second half, they like, they dominated Mm -hmm. possession. They dominated the game, but there was no one that was just going to, you know, run through walls and, and break the door down. It was all kind of, let's wait for the perfect moment. Or, you know, as Phil said, obviously they, they did pick the lock eventually because of Neymar's brilliance. And then you see that's the, that's the reason that the front three all came off, but Neymar stayed on. Uh, because he's the player that can deliver that. I think Martinelli was different. I think all of the subs, you know, Rodrigo a little bit less for for Vinicius, but certainly Anthony for Rafinha. I think everything was like for like, but what was already on the pitch wasn't working. And Martinelli's different to what everybody else provides. 
And I think that's a real disappointment as an Arsenal fan, obviously. I'm quite happy that he's coming home early um, or a bit earlier than we all expected. Yes. Uh, you know, a, w- a win today and he's guaranteed to at least be in the third place game and then he's not coming home until a week before Boxing Day. Uh, now he's got that extra week and hopefully we'll get him in the team for West Ham. Um, but, you know, that's that's a couple of weeks away yet. The defending, yeah, I, I think the whole world thought that Brazil had this game in the bag. That's the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have some sympathy because it took a wicked deflection and and that catches Alisson cold. Like this, It was their only yeah, shot like, on target. He could do about it was their only it. shot on target. The, I think yeah. I read the first team after 90 minutes so that no, t- no, no team has ever had a World Cup knockout game without having a shot on target um, or at least at 90 minutes they were the only team in history at that point to play a World Cup knockout game and not get a shot on target impressive um, at which point you kind of have to hold your hands up and say Brazil didn't do that much wrong they just you know they came up against the goalkeeper who was in top form he pulled off a couple of great saves in the, the second half they really piled on the pressure and you know they had 21 shots and 11 on target. Like it's they didn't. It's not like they didn't name Neymar. Try. I think there was. Yeah. I think he made 10 saves. Livakovic, um, mm-hmm. you know, saves from Neymar. There were a couple of really good saves from Paqueta. I, I don't think Brazil played badly. And then you kind. I don't know. I'm I'm reluctant to criticize a team when they have a goalkeeper come up against them who just is on it. Then they finally make the breakthrough. And then at the other end, a deflected shot goes past the goalkeeper in the 117th minute. Like, I'm willing to kind of chalk that up as one of those days and not say that Brazil made too many mistakes here and just got on the wrong end of some really, really bad luck. It's crazy. Neymar's 30. It's very, very likely that by the next World Cup, Martinelli will be the star and Neymar will have... Uh, we'll have to take a back seat to him. He jokes, but not entirely. Um, I'll say this. I mean, depending on how it goes tomorrow, all this hand-wringing we did as early as this morning on an, another podcast that I did called the Arsenal Vision Podcast, where we said our front three for West Ham could be in Ketty and Nelson and Vieira. Well, now it could be Martinelli, Saka, and, and Ketty, I guess, uh, depending on what happens in England, France, and I'm certainly not rooting for England to go out to any of my uh, English friends that are listening, but if nobody who's English is listening, then I certainly hope they go out and sack us home by tomorrow night. But, you know, it just depends who's listening. It's really really a tailor it to the audience. Um, The the penalty shootout, though, Phil, like, it's, it's wild to me. After having seen Portugal go through this with Ronaldo, was it a Euros or was it a World Cup? I can't remember now. How do you how do you not have Neymar take one of the first four penalties? Like I just I understand the logic for taking the fifth. I get it, but it's it. I feel like it is premised on the idea that everybody's going to make their penalties, and then you'll be the one who wins it. But if it's that easy that everyone can make their penalties, then have him go early. You know what I mean? Like like it is almost a given at this point in modern football that you're not just going to make all I think five it, of your I think it was... And if you think I think someone, it was Euro 2012 uh, with Spain knocked Portugal yeah. out and Ronaldo didn't take a penalty because it was didn't over get, before they that, got to that, his penalty, that, yeah. Exactly. Penaldo was finished. But, like, but, but Phil, like, what's your take on that? Because for me, I don't care what the analytics say or what the... I, there can't be analytics for a thing like this, but what, I, I don't think it's smart. I think your best player should take the first penalty because I think... Making your first penalty is the most important decider of how the pressure feels to the rest of your team. And that first penalty taker, I I think, needs to be your best taker personally. I mean, yeah, completely. I mean, there's no guarantee that he scores, first of all. True. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he has a bigger chance of doing so than any other player in that team, in my opinion. And points on the board are, are... are much more valuable than imaginary goals that are being scored before you can go up there and take the fifth and celebrate. And, you know, for me, it's inexcusable, actually. I I think it's, it's terrible. I think it's selfish. I think the whole plan was centered around him and not his team. Um, you know, and we spoke about Messi earlier, taking, taking the first one to really set the tone for Argentina, especially with a, 
a mixed track record, shall we say? And and for me, it's it's inexcusable, you know, just to give his ego a stroke on the off chance that he gets to the fifth the fifth take. I mean, on the other hand, I thought Croatia's penalties were were excellent. Gosh, I mean, they there was were so one, good. They were there so was good. one. I think it was the their fourth one, maybe from Orsic. I mean, it nearly broke the side of the net. That mm-hmm. it, it was so far into the corner and hit so hard, you know, and. I don't know. It's just really frustrating to me because in, in penalty shootouts, the team always needs to be the idea and the thought. And in that moment, it was all about Neymar. And, you know, at the end, he was crying like it was election night all over again. So, you know, it's... Um, Zing. Got, <laughs> I just think, <laughs> look, I, I can understand wanting your moment, but you had it. You had it earlier in the game. Unfortunately, you couldn't see it out. Well, just do like- your job. Do your job, mate. Cheech said after the game, um, I saw the, the like in the press conference, he said that Neymar was down to take the fifth one because it's the the one with most pressure. Like, but it's not though if it doesn't exist. Like, how much pressure can be on a penalty that's never taken? I, I, it's very difficult to measure the pressure of a penalty that is not. Like, taken. That makes absolutely no <laughs> sense. And Phil, like you said earlier, when there was, and I had the same thought watching the game. Uh, when it was nil-nil and, and Neymar kind of stepped up and it was like, oh, when Brazil needed him most, he he delivered. And then when Brazil, in fact, actually needed him more, about 25 minutes later, he decided not to even step up. And then to have... That's the worst thing for me, like the most kind of pathetic thing. I think the, in these situations, I think you have to give five names to to the officials and that those five players have to take a penalty if it if it's just the mm-hmm. five. Um, but you don't have to give the order that they're going to take penalties in, so you can change it as it sort of happens. And for Neymar, he would have been obviously on that list of five. For him to send Rodrigo up, like send the kid up for the first one, and then to like at least on the halfway line when it then comes down to the the fourth one with Marquinhos, and you know if you miss, you're out. At least just then say to Marquinhos, like, don't worry, I'll go and take this one. Like, don't just still stand there and wait for the, like, oh, maybe he scores and I get to take, take the fifth one. Well, especially because, like, even if he scores and you take the fifth one, it's probably going to continue mm-hmm. at that point. You know what I mean? It's it's probably not going to be the last penalty. What would he have done if that happened? If Marquinhos had scored and, and Argentina, I mean, and uh, and Croatia had missed, would he have sent someone well, else and, to take the fifth one so he and, could take and the and sixth if, one? If Marquinhos <laughs> had scored and then Croatia had scored, it would have been over anyway before Neymar took one. Over anyway, like, that's what I'm saying. It makes absolutely exactly. no sense. Um, yeah, look, it is what it is now. I, I, I mean, I am happy for Croatia. Credit to them. So, so happy. This is, in my view, the best team going out. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say that, that Croatia don't deserve it. I'm not remotely saying that. They were very much in this game, very much a part of this game uh, in an important way. By the way, I have to fix something. I said there hadn't been a red card. Denzel Dumfries was sent off during the penalty shootout with a second yellow card, it turns out. Oh, was he? <laughs> that yellow card okay. that was shown during the penalty shootout actually saw Denzel Dumfries sent there off. There were so many yellow cards that we, lo- we lost track. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so credit to Croatia, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but Brazil going out, like, we've lost what I think is the best team in the tournament. Maybe France would, would have an argument with that. Uh, Morocco, I haven't been half bad, by the way. But like, I I look at this now and I think Argentina are going to be favorites over Croatia, although neither of them are very... Not very good, it's not the right way to put it. Neither of them are, are teams that you will be fearful of if you make it to the final. And so these quarterfinals tomorrow feel like if you are an England supporter listening to this and you've ever joked it's coming home, if you can get past France, you've got two games where you'll be the favorite. I mean, it is... I don't know that this is the final for England in my view because I, they will be favorite and that's not to say they would win the next game or the next game. It's just, I'm, I'm saying this in eight different wrong ways, but the point I'm trying to convey that you will hopefully help me out with when I stop talking for whatever amount of time I continue to carry on for is that I don't think England will see many many opportunities in a World Cup where post-quarter final, the path feels this viable with such a collection of talent. Is that a fair amount of word salad to turn this over to you now? It's opened up, I believe, is the is yeah, the phrase. Just said that again. <laughs> I mean, it very. Hang on, much hang on has. let me try again, Phil. It feels like this is opened up for England. Do you see it that way? 
Really good point, Elliot. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, no, it's a small defi- matter of France, but you know. I mean, look, it's it's tournament football, tournament football, baby. Anything can happen, and mm-hmm. I I think you're right. I think for me, Brazil were the the best team, and I think it's going to sting to go out in such dramatic circumstances when they didn't do a whole lot wrong um, throughout the whole tournament. I, I just think, again, like Lewis said today, it was a kind of freak result with a lot of factors uh, to consider and, and a lot that went against them. But you see the uh, that side of the of the tournament tree and you think, that's interesting. That's that's a way in because, like you said, Croatia have kind of muddled their way through, really took a bit of resilience to get through today and all their experience. Argentina, super up and down. I think Scaloni has won me over during the, the course of the tournament. Mm. I didn't like their his selections during the first couple of games, especially in midfield, but I think he settled on Enzo Fernandez and, and Alexis McAllister now, which is good. And Messi seems to be sharp, which is also good shock. Um, but for me, England and France are, are, are much more complete as, as teams, you know? And for me, it's going to be another big, whoever loses tomorrow, it's going to be another big, uh, another big dog falling out. And whether it is England or whether it is France, I mean, personally, I'm not a hugely invested England fan, but I, I'm hoping they win tomorrow. I want them to win. And it's a, there's a real chance that this could be it, you know, and I, I would hate for, for Southgate to, to not make the most of that. You know, I, I would, I would rather the game is from his point of view, instructed, by ambition as opposed to too much worrying about France because I think too much of the pre-match talk has dominated about, has been dominated about Mbappe and how we're going to stop Mbappe and of course you need to think about that but we've spoken many a time about England's attacking options Saka Kane <laughs> Grealish Foden Sterling could be back I'm not sure if he's going to be in the squad you know there's so much ability there even Bellingham from deep now has shown that he can he can be involved so and England are good defensively, so there's no reason why they can't give France a, a tough game. Um, but it's opening up for sure, and I think it's been really exciting because there's been some shocks. I think Brazil going out today was a shock. I think Spain going out the other day was a shock. Um, and it's nice. It's nice to see different teams involved. Um, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm actually really looking forward to the games tomorrow. I think both of yeah. them have potential to be really exciting games. It, it's um, It's irresistible yeah. force, uh, immovable object stuff with Morocco, Portugal a little bit, mm-hmm. Lewis, because Portugal have scored 12 goals in this tournament um, and really finding their feet, especially as they free themselves from the shackles of Ronaldo a little bit. And Morocco have shown that they can be resilient, shutting down that Spain attack. Um, and, and not just shutting it down, but I think finding ways to counter against it. The thing about Morocco, like, I just keep forgetting how much talent they have. And then I keep looking at the lineup and I'm like, Oh, well, he's pretty good. Oh, well, you know, he's really good. I mean, they've got some players. You know, Amrabat's been brilliant. Ziyech, you know, maybe a little past it, but still very good. Hakimi is one of the best, you know, in the world at his position. Bufal's, no, you know, not bad. Enezri is good. Like, there's there's a lot of talent on that team. This isn't just plucky underdogs. So I think this will settle into a little bit more of a Morocco counterattacking like they did against Spain situation. But... Do you have a clear favorite in this game? Because I, I realize that Portugal will be favorites, but I'm not sure that they're a clear favorite on, you know, just comparative talent and the way they played. The I tournament. wouldn't say so. Like, you know, we talked about the Switzerland game the other day. Uh, um, I think we, we sort of unanimously agreed that Switzerland were bad against Portugal and it kind of played into their hands. I think the game was over by half time, pretty much as well, which... Yeah, the scoreline got run up in the end, but I don't think Portugal were sort of... I don't, they didn't below Switzerland away Switzerland were bad and then the game was over and then they scored a few more goals um so you know you, if you look at it through that lens instead you, Portugal beat a bad team Morocco true nil nil for 120 minutes with a really good team a, a team that is constantly mm-hmm. asking you questions um they've been really organized throughout the entire tournament you know we've talked about that and and Amrabat especially is such a huge part of that and then, yeah, in, in Bufal and, and Nasiri and, and Ziyech and Hakimi, they've got the players who can hurt you going the other way. Like, no doubt about it. I think, like, personally, having watched him a lot over the last four years or so, 
Um, I don't think there's a better wing back on the planet than than Ashraf Hakimi. I don't think there's a more versatile or dangerous wing yeah. back. You know, both footed. He'll underlap. He'll overlap. He he'll cut. He'll play right back and cut inside onto his weak left foot and, and score goals from 15, 20 yards. He'll or, or he'll go outside and get to the touchline and ping in a perfect cross or or stand up a perfect cross. You know, Hakimi's the the ultimate modern fallback. Uh, and and to be playing yeah. behind Ziyech, who is you know probably you'd, you'd say the, the talismanic, most talented, mercurial kind of playmaker for for Morocco, who we've seen as well, also playing for a team that was a bit of an underdog in Ajax on that champion in that Champions League run, a guy who can turn things on, you know, and turn a game just like that. And then Buffal, who is the more, I don't know, Hatem Ben Arfa type character on the other wing, who turns it on when he feels like turning it on. And this World Cup, you can see that he's really feeling it. And yeah, yeah, he's he's getting the ball and dancing past defenders. Yeah, to have those two on, on opposite flanks, I think, you know, an, another player that I've watched a hell of a lot over the years is, is Rafael Guerrero. And maybe he'll play, maybe Xiao Cancelo will play. But Portugal will not be defensively strong at left back, and to have Hakimi and Ziyech on that one flank, running at uh, Guerrero on the break, or, or the spaces that Guerrero leaves on the break, or uh, Cancelo, that is a, a big, big chance for Morocco. And and like Phil said, to see sort of names that we that we don't usually see at this stage of the tournament is great. Morocco are absolutely there because they deserve to be there. Portugal, I, I am not convinced because they, you know, like they, they, they were much, much better than Switzerland. Um, firstly, they were also much better, I thought, than in their previous games. But it was one game. Like, I'm not convinced that Portugal beating Switzerland as heavily as they did in one game means that Portugal should be taken way more seriously now. Uh, obviously, we're just a few games away from what. The final, the semi-finals, final, and you three wins, and you've won the World Cup at this point. But we'll just watch Brazil tear South Korea apart, and then mm. turn up and not really perform against Croatia for for large parts. And then even when you do perform, you've got to take your chances. I'm not quite buying Portugal. Uh, you know, based off of one incredible performance, it's going to need more than that for me to be convinced that. They're a really good side. Uh, yeah, they're probably the favourites to beat Morocco, but even then, they would still definitely be the underdog against either England or France in the semi-final. I, I think yeah, I think Morocco sure. will give them a really really hard game, and you know when you come up against a defensive team, it probably comes down to whether or not there's an early goal uh, or, or or set pieces and that kind of thing, and. That'll be the key for me. If Morocco get to half time and and it's nil nil like the Spain game was, or they're ahead, then I would think Morocco have a, a really really good chance of making the semi and becoming the first African team as well to ever make a World Cup semi final. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, and and, and I mean, I, I think it'd be a really good game. I, we got to get you out of here, you guys. But before we do, just quickly, two things. One thing I want to say about so my tweet as soon as Brazil went out, with all due respect to Brazilians listening, is. Gabby's coming home because I was thrilled. And I did get a lot of people that are like, well, hooray, he's going to be shell-shocked and miserable and depressed. So, like, why do you think that's good? Like, totally agree. But only one team wins the World Cup. He could have gone to the final and lost and been miserable and depressed, but been miserable and depressed on December 18th instead of December 9th, right? So, like, it's not that I'm happy to see my player heartbroken, my player, like our you know, the, I mean, look, as much as I've loved Gabby Martinelli, I feel like I can say it that way, but, but like, and it's the same with Saka. If Saka goes out tomorrow, I'll be devastated for him, but the odds that he's going to go all the way and win the World Cup, only one team gets to do it. If, as you guys have pointed out multiple times now, if he goes through tomorrow, he's staying at least through the third place game. So he, you know, and then we don't have him almost certainly for West Ham and Brighton. So you got to balance these things. Phil, just super quick. Do you expect Saka to start? Do you expect any special tactics to come up against really the entire ball of wax when you're playing France, which is what the hell do you do with Kylian Mbappe? Uh, Olivier um, Giroud, I mean, Olivier Giroud. <laughs> <laughs> I think Saka could start. Um, I would like to see him start. I mean, my investment in England 
increases tenfold when he's playing. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think I think with Mbappe, there's a danger to overthink it. Um, look, whether whether he goes to a back three or not, I, I don't know. I for me, he he shouldn't stray. I think what's been uh, working so far has has been working for a reason. You know, I think he's slowly tweaking things and finding where players should be playing. And you know, he tried that that adventurous double eight system with Henderson and Bellingham that didn't work, but then he tweaked it in the second half and he got it right. So I think he's slowly finding the best formation and the best system. And to to go and change it all for one player for me would be a little bit drastic, as good as Mbappe is. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me because, you know, I've seen Southgate revert to type before um, and it would be a shame. I think, I think England have more than enough to, to go and attack this game as equals. Um, and I think going to a three would then give other players more space, e.g. Usman Dembele and Griezmann, and you don't want that. So, you know, just stick with your guns, play with how you're playing, but also make sure you're wary when you need to be. But I think in terms of Martinelli... I think he's going to be upset, but I think he's in a better position now than than he was at the start of the tournament. I think he's gained an enormous amount of credit, not only with with the Brazilian coaching system and and the national team, but from the fans as well. I mean, did you see the reaction today when he didn't come on? Yeah, it was all of a sudden know, all these I, haters who are like, "What the hell is he doing in this national team?" Are like, "Why is he I, coming?" I on? think he's in a in a in an amazing place now with the Brazilian national team, and while he's going to be upset, I think he's done all that he could to make an impact here and that will only leave him in good stead for the future. Um, well, whereas, and, and the one other thing I'll say is if you're heartbroken, what better way to get past it than come back to a genuine title race in the premier mm-hmm. league where you're beloved and thought of as the star, right? Like you're not coming back to chase eighth place as a sub for Arsenal. You're coming back to be the star for Arsenal in a, ti- in a title it's, challenge. So it's, it's something we, we yeah. talked about on the, the ask cast. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's just this guy in Ireland is, is trying to make it big. Um, mm. but, but that's something we talked about yesterday. No. With, uh, oh, oh, is that, that's the that's the goodly morning. Yeah, guy, yeah, that right? shtick. No, it doesn't um, ring a bell. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's me fired. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I literally, I'm the only one in this podcast not on his payroll for God's sake. Um, but you know, we mm-hmm. we we mentioned in on yesterday's pod that Jacker and Tomiyasu come back in such different circumstances. Like Jacker's having a great season. He's been on fire for Arsenal. Everybody loves him. The fans are singing his name. And Tomiyasu comes back, and even though everything's been going great at the club, he's kind of been on the outskirts of it. He's like not really in the team. He's in the team if somebody gets dropped or is injured. He's not been fully fit the whole time, you know. And, and on that kind of it, it, going by that same logic, uh, I, you know, I would hope that Martinelli will be really, really excited to be back. You know, as, as Phil said, where he's the star and returning to an environment where he's loved and appreciated and he's absolutely smashing it. You know, I I would hope that him and Jaka and, and Bukayo Saka, however that this ends up for him over the next couple of weeks, they all are quite excited to return to where everybody absolutely adores them. And hopefully that yeah. helps them hit the ground running when they come back. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's leave it there. I mean, we keep going on previewing the England an hour into this thing. By the time people wake up, the other games beyond no, nobody will have listened. So it'd be, it'd be a real shame if this was just three people having conversation about football. Can't have that. Um, but yeah, fun, fun games tomorrow. Rooting for you, England, unless you're a French listener, in which case rooting for you, France. And of course, the same goes for you, Morocco and Portuguese listeners. I am I am one with you tomorrow, whichever you are. Let's leave it there. Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Lewis. Phil Costa is on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil Costa. Thank you very much. <laughs> Whatever the hell that was. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Finish as you mean to start. Start as you mean to finish. I don't know. My mic was glitching. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, let's just all remember the time we had me trying to pronounce player names earlier in the podcast. That was really the high water. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. We're going to be back tomorrow. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. We love you. We'll talk to you after your country town. Another country now.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.